Our scripture reading today is Daniel 2, 12 through 30. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show him, show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these inspired words. Um, we thank you for the example of Daniel, who was a man uh, who loved you and who asked for your wisdom and strength, Lord. God, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would um, move through uh, Grant and speak to us today, and in your precious name, amen. 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 Grab a Bible, and have it open to Daniel 2, please do. Thank you, Paula, for that reading. I was teasing Paula that next time we'll try to find a long passage for her to read. But, you know, like I think about, well, maybe we should have excerpts, and sometimes we do, but man, there's just nothing, nothing that tells you what we're about around here more than just, we're going to read the scripture. The public reading of the scripture is just a powerful, wonderful thing. And so 
Uh, thank you, Paula, for leading us in that. That's so important. Let's talk about wisdom today. A love of wisdom is something that most ancient cultures have in common. This idea of uh, wisdom was even one of, like, they would have said the foundational building blocks of the, of the universe. The Hebrew word for wisdom, the, it, today when we see the word wisdom, it's in Aramaic. We're into the Aramaic part of the book of Daniel, that big center. But uh, this, the word is very similar, and it's chokmah. Chokmah. Yeah, that's right. And it's great. Uh, you know, my, I always say my Greek is terrible and my Hebrew is worse. But it's something like that, chokmah. And, and it is this wonderful word. Like, we, we have maybe definitions of wisdom. We're always trying to figure out how wisdom and knowledge go together. We're always trying to figure out. But, but the word chokmah, while, it, while wisdom or wise is a great translation of it, it had a much fuller meaning. It, it, the, maybe the best way to define it, and you can see why this would kind of be awkward if, if this is the word that got used in English, is skill. It's like getting better at something. If you're growing in wisdom, you're growing in ability, <clears throat> not just decision-making. So, um, the, and really, the, when you, so you can be a wise carpenter, you know, you can be good at that, or if you are just a wise person, you are good at living. So if you are going to, and we've talked about this before, but I bet you know people that you go, that guy just knows how to live. Not just like he has a, you know, Ferrari and a Honda NC750X, that's, that's the motorcycle I have. Um, it, it's not just that he's like living the good life like that. No, it, it's that you go, man, he seems to like avoid big pitfalls. He seems to like have some skill when his, when, when his family is, it has trouble. He seems to have wise words, seems to be a guy you can count on. You look at a, a, you might know a woman you know and go, man, the world around her can really be falling apart and she's just steady. She seems to be able to navigate it. That would be wisdom, skill in living. And this is still an important thing and it was something that definitely was, was important in Babylon. Um, and skill and knowledge certainly have a relationship with each other, but, um, but it's, we need to talk about that as we go to this morning because here's the thing. The Babylonians had all of the knowledge and they'd like all of the knowledge available to them. And they were scientists, you know, probably not by our uh, definition, but certainly by any culture before them, they were, you know, we've talked about them. They were searchers of the stars and they were both astronomers and astrologers. And they, they, they had, a, they used advanced math and they were engineers. And it was really just a wonderfully complex civilization. And not only that, they wrote poetry and origin stories and all of these things that Daniel has just been trained in for, for three years. And so they have all of the knowledge, but there is a kind of wisdom that is still missing. And in this, we can still fall victim to the same thing, that we can be experts you can just, I mean, your portfolio is like going gangbusters. You figured out the stock market. It's all yours. You write poetry that makes people cry. You say, is that a guitar? You know, you go, it, like all of it. You can do all of it. Yes, I'm excellent at my job and people bow to me and all of that. But there still is a kind of wisdom that is not available just by an accumulation of earthly knowledge. 
And last week we talked about how while this book is about Daniel and his friends, the guy that does most of the changing is Nebuchadnezzar. And we are continuing to see it. This is like, like you ever see a, a, a video where somebody falls down and they do it in slow motion? And it's like, that's what we're seeing with Nebuchadnezzar's whole life. Like passage by passage, we're seeing it kind of unravel for Nebuchadnezzar. And this is a continuation of that story. So there are plenty of people who have plenty of knowledge without a lot of skill. There might be a chemist who can tell you everything on a molecular level about cinnamon and sugar and an agriculturalist who can tell you the perfect way to grow wheat and apple orchards. There might be a dairyman who can tell you all about how to run a successful dairy. But if you want a pie, it's probably your grandma (laughs) who cannot tell you any of the things on a molecular level and cannot tell you the chemistry behind agriculture, but she has a skill that is a blessing in your life. And there are Bible scholars who can write detailed papers about the meaning behind every word, but they're cheating on their taxes and they're mean to their spouse and they don't serve other Christians. They have knowledge, but they don't have the skill that's associated with a life lived with the Lord. But then again, you know, sometimes there is a a lack of wisdom, a lack of skill, precisely because there's a lack of knowledge. We've all had the thought, man, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I would have made different kinds of decisions. And in this section, in Daniel, we are being confronted with these kind of major um, differences between Babylonian ideas about wisdom and Hebrew ideas about wisdom. And I would say those would continue. You know, it's no accident that when John writes his apocalypse in the book of Revelation, he puts the big bad guy as Babylon. Because Babylon, in all of the scriptures, kind of stands as an example of the world doing worldly stuff at peak performance. All of the the downfalls that come with just a life, a culture that is opposed to God and thinks it's thriving, but really is in absolute peril. Babylon is the example from, really from cover to cover. Babylonian wisdom was not nothing. Like we can make the mistake of going these backwards people, you know, in the ancient times. No, that's not them. They cared about wisdom. But By wisdom, they meant the accumulation of skills that can be accumulated with your five senses. They would, I don't think it's a one-for-one corollary, but something like being excellent scholars. That if we can know enough stuff, then we will have the skill to be successful in life. And let me tell you, there's there's actually part of me that wants to warn against that. You know, in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, um, the author of Ecclesiastes goes, hey, don't be too wise which is a strange thing to say, right? But one of the most dangerous things you can ever be in your life is competent. Because when you first start growing in wisdom, when you first start in a career or you first start in a family, you know, you get married and then you have that first little bump in the road in marriage and you go, oh no, it's all, you know, it's all over. It's all, and you have no no excuse or no options except to rely on the Lord. And you pray hard and you go seek good counsel 
and you do your best to, to just like, I know I can't do this. I, I need to rely on the Lord for everything. I know you guys aren't pastors, and so telling stories about being a pastor is only so effective. But over and over, every time I get a chance to talk to a young pastor, I go, look, competency will kill you. As soon as you feel like you can get to the pulpit and preach in and of yourself, you're dead in the water. Go find another job. When you begin, you stand here and you go, I am desperate. I wrote these notes. I'm an idiot. I don't even know what any of this says. I don't know what this means. God, help me. And that is a wonderful prayer. And if you ever stand in a place like this, or really any place of leadership, competent, you got to worry because there's a desperation that leads you to real wisdom. So anyway, the, the Babylonian idea of wisdom was the accumulation of knowledge. We might look at it like scientific study or scholarship or something like that. Um, and, and also societal training, like training in culture. This is why Daniel has just spent his last three years training in literature and language and the customs of the Chaldeans. We might think of it like a college campus. You might walk into a college campus, and there's basically two kinds of people on that college campus. The STEM folks, right? And you need the STEM folks because we want new technology, and we want to live longer. We want healthy bodies and you know, cars that work and bridges that don't fall down and that kind of stuff. Or on the other side, the humanities part of the campus is there. And we have the humanities because along with bridges that work, we need stories to tell and beauty and paintings and poetry and music and all like that. We not only want to live, but we want to enjoy living. And if you look at those kind of things, you might sit there and go, okay, the academic pursuit of scientific knowledge and the academic pursuit of culture. If I were to master these, I would be wise. And the truth is, you'd still be missing a hugely important piece. You still will run out. All of that is what Ecclesiastes calls Havel. It's something that you can touch it, you can have it, but it disappears on you. Rather, the Hebrew idea of wisdom was something more along the lines of not just the accumulation of knowledge of everything, what, you know, what the ancients called under the sun, of earthly wisdom, stuff you can process with your five senses, but rather, how do we have the wisdom that is beyond the sun? How do we have unsearchable wisdom of mysteries. You hear Daniel say things like mysteries. This was not an uncommon thing to say in Hebrew literature. Uh, we'll talk about this more when I talk about it in 10 minutes, pretend I didn't say it now, but you'll hear Daniel say over and over as he talks to Nebuchadnezzar that there is a God in heaven, not just gods under the heavens, not just the gods of the sun and the rain and the crops, but rather a God that is above all of that, who rules all of that. Hebrew wisdom then wants to know more than what is going on under the sun. It is concerned with what is going on beyond the sun. Yahweh several times is the God of heaven in Daniel's words. The heavens, we might call it nature. We might call the heavens natural law or even the laws of physics. This is what guided the what set the boundaries for earthly wisdom, what still sets the boundaries for earthly wisdom. But Daniel wants us to think about Yahweh, the Lord 
of all of that wisdom, the master of the created order, the God of the heavens. And this is a common biblical idea. The psalmist in the Psalms of Ascent says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. So you can know all you need to know about the hills. You can be an expert in everything under the sun. But there's going to come a day, and probably you've had days like this, where all of the accumulation of human knowledge does not satisfy. And we need wisdom from beyond, from the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist also says, the earth is the Lord's. That's ownership. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So there are some things to think about in this passage, and I would just challenge you. I'm not going to talk about anything else today. We're going to talk about wisdom the whole time. And I don't know that we have a lot of places in our lives where we are encouraged to learn the kind of wisdom that Daniel's talking about. Even if you are looking for wisdom to, in a spiritual sense, you know, like, hey, I need wisdom to make a good decision uh, about a job or something. Probably the advice you're going to get is still going to be make a list. Put pros and cons. That's fine. It's good. Earthly wisdom is not bad. God established the laws of the universe. We can play by the laws of the universe. But there's going to be a time where there's not enough. And I don't want to spoil the end, but there is a wisdom that can only be found in a relationship with the God of the universe. There is no amount of knowledge that gets you this kind of wisdom. I love studying. I think knowledge is a great thing. But it has limits that only the God of the universe can overcome. So, first question I have, and I would run the slides, but I've lost my phone, Caleb, so if you can try <laughs> I just lost it. If it rings while we're doing this, then we'll find it together, I guess. I don't know. It's around here somewhere. Why did Nebuchadnezzar decide to kill all the wise men? Why? Why did Nebuchadnezzar? That's how we start, right? I love that we kind of dropped Paula into the, into the middle of the story. The, the, the first thing Paula read is, because of this, the king was very angry and very furious and commanded that all wise men of Babylon be destroyed. And you go, maybe I should have come to church last week. What's going on right now? What, what happened? Because of what? Well, you remember that Nebuchadnezzar had said, I had a dream and it freaked me out. And this is what I pay you guys for. You're the wise men. You say you can talk to the gods or study in the stars or whatever. Tell me what my dream's about. And they go, sure, tell us the dream. And he goes, I'm not telling you the dream. If you can do what you say you can do, then you can tell me what the dream was and then you can tell me what it means. And they go, Nebuchadnezzar, there's nobody on earth who can do that. And that's where we get the joke. Right, there's nobody on earth that can do that. Daniel is gonna reiterate that here at the end of our story. So because of that, Nebuchadnezzar is furious and decides to kill all the wise men. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions because remember, this had to be a rough time. We'll talk about the timing of this later, but I imagine it's something like, and this year's graduating class, 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are newly minted wise men, Chaldeans, wise men of Babylon. Yay, everybody clap for them. Next announcement, there's been a decree that all the wise men should be killed. And you think Daniel going, is that right? Okay, this job stinks. So why did Nebuchadnezzar decide to kill everybody? Well, first of all, of course, because he's angry and cruel. There's a portion of that. He's the leader of the world, and uh, there's, there's no land he can you know, get to that he doesn't command. So certainly, he is not a model of our behavior. He's a mean person. He's a cruel person. He's a, he's a totalitarian you know, overlord, and he's made some threats, and he is going to make good on those threats, but there's something else we should think about. Another way you could think about this is that he decides to kill all of the wise men because they have proven once and for all that all of the wisdom in this world is just not enough. Because they are all on the payroll and cannot do what he is asking them to do. He has come to a point where he looks at all of the bureaucracy all of the, the people who are just his counselors designed to give him wisdom, and they, when it really came down to it and he really needed wisdom, they didn't have any. So he seeks to get rid of his wise men because that whole system doesn't work. We talked about that a lot last week, that it is a very good thing. Like Nebuchadnezzar is a violent overlord. You're not. That's good. But in some way, this is why I don't like being on YouTube. I can picture this clip like taken out and be like, Seaside Pastor says we should all murder people. That's not, no, nope, nope. Murder's bad. We clear, we clear, we clear. Okay. But coming to the point where you go, I have to put this idea to death is actually something Paul said to us in Colossians. To come to the point where you go, I have to give up if my heart is going to be satisfied, if I'm going to have the wisdom I really need, if life is going to actually make sense, I'm not talking about can I pay the bills and have people be impressed, but I'm talking about the satisfaction of my heart, genuine hope where I think I'm going to be okay no matter what, a peace that surpasses understanding. I'm going to have to completely give up on the idea that anything under the sun is going to fill me. So while the New Testament clearly would steer us away from following the example of Nebuchadnezzar, Paul would say this in Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Put to death, therefore, what is earthy in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And I'm here to tell you, those are not just sinful acts. Those are perspectives and attempts in how to live the good life. Immorality is an easy one to pick on. We're at church. Let's talk about that, right? But immorality is not, is not what happens when somebody decides to be bad. Immorality is what happens when somebody decides that's the path to the good life. See, greed, which is probably a much bigger problem in the church than immorality, is not what happens when people decide to you know, rebel from God. It's what happens when people decide that the accumulation of wealth is the path to the good life and loving your neighbor and caring for the poor is not. So while Nebuchadnezzar is not an example for us, 
to come to the same realization that he came to. And to say, it's not, this is Nebuchadnezzar's problem, and he's going to have to get over it, and we're going to see him really hit rock bottom. But Nebuchadnezzar, what he should be doing is not putting to death all of these people, but really putting to death the expectation in himself that anything other than the God who is the maker of heaven and earth would have answers. So if you are hanging on to the idea that the way you're going to feel okay the satisfaction of your heart, the way you're going to have hope and joy and peace is going to be equal parts Jesus and earthly wisdom. You need to put that to death right now. Not because God said so, but because it's futile. If it worked, I'd say go for it. I'm a practical guy. But there'll come a time when it doesn't work. We see violence in Nebuchadnezzar for sure. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar's wrong. He's a famous bad guy. But he was right to acknowledge the futility of earthly thinking. And all that Colossians 3 stuff really is just earthly thinking. I, I'm of the opinion, and maybe this isn't universal, but I think it's 90% true. Nobody's trying to wreck their life. We're all doing the best we can. We're all trying to do what we think is right for us in the moment. And the reason people live lives apart from God is because they think that's right for them. And you got to decide. Is the accumulation, is mastering everything in the STEM program and the humanities program, is that the path to peace and joy? Or does it have to come from beyond the sun? So, Nebuchadnezzar's wrong to be violent, but he's right to say this stuff doesn't work. So what do we learn from Daniel's response Think about the spot that Daniel's in. He probably has just finished Babylonian training. He is a newly minted wise man, just in time for the decree to go out that all the wise men should be killed. That is brutal. But this timing, I think, is important to Daniel's character because it tells us, first of all, that he's fully versed in the Babylonian customs, language, literature. He's on the inside. When we're talking about Babylonian wisdom, he knows what he's talking about. He's just got his degree in it. He knows how all this works. He knows how to read the charts. He knows how to follow the stars. He isn't a naive kid. He's not a country bumpkin from, from you know, uh, Jerusalem going, well, we could try my mysterious, you know, like superstitious God. And that's what the world might get the impression when we talk about it's, it's not the accumulation of earthly knowledge, but rather it's a clinging to the God who made it all. It, it, it might come across like, we don't like no science learning. We're just sticking with God. And that couldn't be further from the truth. No, God is the maker of heaven and earth. If you're studying heaven and earth, it's worship. And Daniel sees all of it. He is a learned man. But he knows something else too. He's finished his training in Babylonian culture so he isn't guilty, but he's just finished it. So he also isn't guilty of relying on these false gods and bad ideas. So in verse 14 and following, we get this, you know, this is a little bit of a path to follow. What can we learn from Daniel's response? I don't want to get to, you know, this is historic narrative, so we don't go, this is all the time, this is always how it works, but it is a story we can learn from. And you see how, how Daniel responds. And in verse 14, it said, then Daniel replied with, Anger and violence. Is that what your Bible says? 
with prudence and discretion. Hey, do you know what people who are seeking godly wisdom are like? Prudence and discretion. Those are words that there's a family of words that they can be translated to can be uh, like counsel. He responded with counsel and humility. We are taught to fight fire with fire. We are taught that when earthly wisdom is obviously different than biblical wisdom, we should respond with violence. Now, we're too civilized to respond with physical violence, but we're going to respond with verbal violence, with social media violence, with, a, with an attack where we can go, ah, showed them. But the church should be marked by prudence and discretion in these matters. Not rash, not impulsive, not aggressive, and not alone. Prudence and discretion. And then verse 16, it says, he took some time. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time. King, I don't don't have it right now, but I do trust God. Uh, I'm going to need some time to search his, his will. And then not only take time, but I wish it was more complicated than this, guys, but you need to pray with people. Verse 17, then Daniel went into his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy um, from the God of heavens concerning this mystery. Like, he just got his, like, you know, masters in Babylonianness. But he goes, I'm not going to go search the, the textbooks. Rather, I'm going to get my buddies together and we're going to pray for mercy. And the prayer is for mercy. That's meaningful to me. I don't have words to describe how important that is to me. I wish I did. I wish I had better words for you. But, but the prayer is for mercy. That word mercy can also get translated compassion. So, you know, we, we kind of feel like praying with power means to pray like, like we're the boss of God. Like praying with power is like, God, I know you can do it, so you give me the interpretation of this dream, and you do it now in Jesus' name. That's not what Daniel did anyway. Daniel goes in, gets on his knees, holds hands with his buddies, and goes, help! Would you have compassion on us? There's no naming stuff. There's no standing on the promises of anything. It's just, I trust you, And I don't understand any of this. So would you have compassion on us? Would you save us? And I think we should get better at praying like that. Not, God, I will tell you what to do. If you have questions, I'll let you know. But I'm going to be pretty clear. Rather, Daniel goes in, grabs some buddies, huddles up, says, God, mercy. Mercy. It's undeserved. I don't deserve it, God. We're going to die, and I don't want to. 
Can I just put that with you? I'm all for praying specifically, but I'm for praying specifically because I have kids and God's a father and I want my kids to tell me exactly what's on their heart. I don't think it's bad for us to go, God, the bill is $212 exactly and I don't know how to do it. Would you please? $212, God. That's it. I think, you know, I think that, that he's our heavenly father. He wants to hear exactly what's on our heart. But that's very different than going, I declare this, I claim it, make it happen. Mercy, compassion. And let me tell you, God delights in showing compassion to those he loves. God delights in giving mercy to us. For God so loved the world, he died for us. So what does Daniel know about wisdom? I love this, uh, that it says, the wisdom of the wise. That sounds like a comic book name or something, right? The wisdom of the wise. Who else has the wisdom? It's the wise people. But let me tell you, there is the wisdom of the wise that not everybody has. And we're going to have to get to the bottom of it here in the next 10 minutes, and I'll let you go. Daniel answered and said this beautiful song. Daniel writes a song. Isn't that great? He, God answers his prayer. God gives him this interpretation. God could have solved this a million ways. Here's how he decides to do it. He gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream, tells Daniel what the dream was. And so the first thing uh, Daniel does is not run to Nebuchadnezzar and go, gotcha, but rather he writes a worship song, writes a, writes a poem about how great God is. Ah, remembering to say thank you is not a bad idea. Then Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belongs wisdom and insight. I'm sorry, wisdom and might. Changes times and seasons, removes kings and sets up kings, gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. You see all these New Testament themes. He is the light. Um, and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give you thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. So who has it? God has it. And he gave it to Daniel. And, now, uh, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, um, or you have made known to us the king's matter. So here's what Daniel knows about wisdom. And I think this is important. You remember in James that James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask. Daniel would say amen to that, that wisdom is available. Wisdom is available. Remember what the wise men thought they knew? The wise men looked at Nebuchadnezzar and was like, I'm telling you this Knowledge isn't available. Nobody knows this. Mysteries of the human heart, meaning of life, hope eternal. Nobody knows that, man. We're all just going to die and figure it out later. Nobody has the answers to that. That's the matter of the gods and they're not talking. But Daniel says, no, that's not true. Wisdom is available. But only some of that truth, only some of that wisdom is available through our five senses. Wisdom is available. Okay, if I've been boring and you're like playing Subway Surfer or something, just right now, just this next 30 seconds, pay attention. Wisdom is external to you. Truth is external to you. Truth is available, but it doesn't reside in you. You pursue it. Now, you can know true things, 
But when we talk about being people of truth, we're not talking about people who have arrived with enough knowledge to have all the answers. Rather, we say we are people who know that God has truth. We pursue him. That's what it means to be people of truth. So we never get arrogant and say, I'm a Christian, so I have the truth. No. No, rather, I'm a Christian, so I humbly submit to the one who is truth. And that is a huge difference. We could stop all internet fighting right now, just with that. We'll talk about how wisdom and humility work together in a minute, but let's start with this. Wisdom, truth, does not live in us. It is something we pursue. It is, someone, it is something we seek. It is something we keep on seeking. Because continual seeking wisdom is how we find it. But I've said this before, I'll say it a thousand more times. When we are pursuing truth, we are not pursuing ideas, we are pursuing Christ. He is the truth. One of the curses of our time is that idea, I'm a Christian, therefore everything I think is right. Right? That's a Babylonian idea of wisdom. We've kind of gone from, and again, we do this by belittling people of the past, but we've kind of gone from God is truth, and that's where truth and wisdom reside, to God is truthful. Do you see the heresy there? Okay, God is not loving, God is love. God is not wise, he is wisdom. And that is an incredible difference. So we've gone from that to, uh, well, God has wisdom, to, well, people who claim to be in God's family have wisdom, to actually, I think it's me that is the source of wisdom. And there are some things that you can rightly say, I'm allowed to say how I feel. I'm allowed to say what I think. I'm allowed to say uh, what I think is best. But when it comes to genuine truth, when it comes to genuine wisdom, we would be pretty countercultural, and we would say it resides in the character and nature of God and nowhere else, that we cannot know truth without pursuing Him with our whole being. Christian worldview is, I, what it means to be a Christian is to understand, I got to the end of my wisdom. I got to the end of my truth, and I found it lacking. And so if you're looking for truth, I will huddle with you. I will pray with you. I will tell you what I've learned. I will, we will talk about it together, but I am never going to say that I'm the source of truth. 20, verse 20 has the big idea. Verse 20 says, wisdom and might belong to God. He owns them. He's the one dishing them out. Verse 21 to 22 fleshes that idea out. He establishes the seasons. There's an ordered world. It's because of God's wisdom. He removes kings and sets up kings. You know, from Daniel's perspective, he was like, who's the king? Well, it's the guy in Jerusalem. No, it's not. Now it's the guy in Egypt. No, it's not. Now it's Nebuchadnezzar. And he's looking at these kings like rising and falling and going, you know whose throne has not been threatened by any of those? Is Yahweh's. 
So you like this guy, you don't like this guy, wait a while. But the king of the universe is unchanging, unmatched, and undefeated. And this dream that we'll get into next week is largely about the temporary nature of earthly power. You guys probably know the story, but Daniel's going to march in there and go, you want the truth? You need to get right with God, dude. (laughs) It's not going to last forever. He gives wisdom to the wise, Daniel says. And that sounds odd. But here's the big idea and the thing I'd like you to take away. The wisest thing you can do is not to accumulate all the knowledge under the earth and go, I did it. The, largest thing you, the wisest thing you can ever do is become the kind of person that is continually so in relationship with God that you know where to go for wisdom. And it's not you, but it's God. Like the wise, the giving wisdom to the wise does not mean the people with the cool hats and the fancy things and whatever. Rather, the wisdom of the wise is the wisest people on earth know that it doesn't reside in them, but it resides in God and they're continually in relationship with him. Daniel says, This God reveals deep and hidden things. God is light. By him we see the deep and hidden things. Then you might be struggling with things. You might, then, like I say, every season of life has these kind of questions. If you are looking for an answer to who am I? What does it mean to be me? Man, the wisest people on earth are the ones that take that question to the foot of the cross, to the throne of God, and say, God, I'm going to let you tell me who I am. I'm not going to decide it by myself. I'm going to let you tell me who I am. What's the future? What should I do? The wisest people in the, in the world are not the ones that just lay out a five-year plan and go, that's what I'm going to do. I figured out I'm going to do it. But rather are those who learn how to every step walk in tune with the Holy Spirit. What do I do with my past? Man, there's some hurtful things back there. Well, the wisest people on the earth are not just the people who have figured out how to turn the page. The wisest people on the earth have figured out how to constantly be in relationship with God regarding those things. To find answers at the foot of the cross, to find answers in the empty tomb, to find answers at the throne of God. So wisdom and thanksgiving go together. Wisdom and humility go together. Verse 25, and I'll... I'll wrap it up here, but verse 25 is pretty impactful. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, hey, do you know any Ariochs? Do you know any people who act like this? So Arioch, if you're looking for baby names, I would not suggest Arioch. He's not that great. Um, I'm sticking with Belshazzar. That's good. <laughs> then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known the king and his interpretation. Arioch's a jerk. That kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that says, no, real wisdom is the accumulation of human knowledge, that always leads to arrogance. It just leads to thinking you're the best, to thinking you have it. 
And if you're looking for a sign of immaturity in a Christian life, there it is. I can't tell you how many, I always say this, my, I've, I've told this story before, but the guy that I, I you know, worked for for years, I would, his doctor, David Hong, and I'd be in things and people would be, hi, I'm Reverend Doctor this and Reverend Doctor that. And David would go, hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Dave. The accumulation of knowledge and calling that wisdom will leave you arrogant like Ariok. I have found a man. Ariok did nothing. But that's that culture. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Man, Daniel, if he wants a good spot in the, in the kingdom, he should probably say yes. He's got the answer. God already told him. He knows what to say. There's nothing else he has to do. He could just go, yep, I do. I'll tell you right now. But that's Babylonian wisdom. And Hebrew wisdom, godly wisdom, says the exact opposite. Daniel goes, I can't do that. In fact, Daniel almost quotes verbatim what the uh, Chaldeans told, um, told Nebuchadnezzar last week. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, there's not a person on earth that could do that. Nobody can do it. None of your wise men can do it. They didn't teach us in Babylonian university how to do it. Nobody can do that, Nebuchadnezzar. But there is a God and he can. Do you see what he says? There's a God in heaven. All this stuff that you guys worship, there's a God higher. Are you able? Guys, Here's the thing, we're going to be happier people if we never answer yes to that question. Are you able? No. No. No, but there's a God in heaven. So Daniel knows it. Just like earthly wisdom breeds arrogance, man, Godly wisdom breeds humility. And I'll tell you what, arrogance is a white-knuckle, Pepto-Bismol drinking, stressed-out climb and fall. And godly wisdom is a life of wonder. There's a God in heaven. He has not let me down. Constantly. It's been one thing after another that I thought I was doomed. I can't do it. I feel like an idiot every Sunday God uses me. That is crazy. But I'm starting to expect it. And it's wonderful. We have been taught to tighten our grip and tighten our grip. And it's about you and you making it happen. And there is nothing wrong with a good education and learning some skills and learn how to change a tire. Do all that stuff. but you always have to answer the question. There's nothing in me, but there is a God in heaven who comes through for me over and over and over again. This passage is not about Daniel's ability to read dreams. Guys, Daniel can't read dreams. That's not a skill he has, but there is a God in heaven. That's the way spiritual gifts work. That's why I always kind of even go, what spiritual gifts do you have? Oh, whatever God gives me at the moment, he gives it to me. 
This isn't about predicting the future, although we'll get into that next week. But here's the wisdom of the wise. Something that you already know, and it's a very pastory thing to say. The wisdom of the wise is learning to rely on God. So, the wisdom of man, Babylonian wisdom, I would say Western culture wisdom, whatever we are, like earthly wisdom, is get great at learning enough data, master the STEM program, and master the humanities program. The wisdom of the wise works whether you've done all that or haven't. And it is simply every day have you learned to rely on God. Have you learned to make Him your source? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, would you teach us over and over and over and over how to rely on you? Lord, we don't just want earthly wisdom. I would like the wisdom of the wise. I would like to learn more and more, God, how to rely on you in good times and in difficult times, Lord, that it would not breed arrogance in us, but that it would breed humility in us, that we would be a collection, a group, a church family of people who in humility serve each other and trust you for everything. Lord, give us joy that only comes in knowing I can't, but God can. Lord, as we grow in earthly knowledge, Lord, I love exploring the world. I love music and poetry and scientific discovery and the whole, it's so interesting. God, thank you for the ability that you've given us to appreciate all that. Just help us not to worship it, to count on it for the deepest questions in our heart. And certainly, Lord, teach us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on you. In Jesus' name, amen.